Welcome to Hadley Presents. I'm your host, Ricky Anger, inviting you to sit back, relax, and enjoy a conversation with the experts. In this episode, we discuss non-visual strategies for safety and self-defense. Our guests are Hadley's Chief Program Officer, Ed Haynes, along with co-founders of strive for You, Christy Ray and Ricky Jones. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks, Ricky. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I am so delighted to have you all here. It's a full house, and I know we have lots to talk about, so we'll jump right into it pretty quickly here. But before we do that, and before we talk about just this incredibly important topic of staying safe and ways that you can ensure your personal safety, defend yourself if need be, let's just hear from each of you and get a little background about who you are. Ed, uh, we'll we'll start with you since you're not brand new, so we'll just get yours done quickly. Sure. Thanks, Ricky. Yeah, I'm Ed Haynes. I'm the Chief Program Officer at Hadley, and uh, I'm really excited to be talking with Ricky and Christy today. This is an incredibly important topic and one of uh, a great deal of interest to me, and a lot of learners have suggested that we cover this in the past, so we're we're delighted to be able to do this. Yes, indeed. It comes up quite often. So yeah, this is going to be a wonderful way to just bring this much needed info to people. So we'll move next then to Christy Ray. Tell us a bit about yourself, who you are and kind of what you do. Absolutely. Uh, As Ricky said, thank you so much for having us. Um, And I am one of the co-founders and also co-executive director of Strive for You. And currently, I'm overseeing our seed program. We have a couple of different programs. And obviously, today, we're here to talk about the seed program, which is safety, education, empowering defense. We've been doing this particular program for about two years. And we've had previous knowledge and experience of doing this. and. Uh, One of the big things is we don't ever consider ourselves experts. We like to consider ourselves students first. We're always learning, just like everybody else. I'm also visually impaired. I live outside of Nashville, Tennessee. I have three kids with the other co-founder, Ricky Jones. Uh, We have a his, hers, and ours package that pretty much... uh, I should cover it. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you for that. And we will have uh, specific info about SEED in our show notes. So certainly uh, have a lookout for that. And in the meantime, let's go to yet another Ricky. So (laughs) we have two of those on the show today. Uh, Ricky Jones, tell us a bit about you. Well, thank you so much, Ricky. Um, It's... (laughs) Two on one podcast should make it very interesting, I would think. Yes. Um, so yes, uh, I'm I'm Ricky, and I'm very thankful to be here. Love what Hadley does uh, for the blind and visually impaired community and, and others. We've uh, spoke off recording that we were Christy and I both had had really benefited from Hadley, so we appreciate the opportunity to come back and speak with you all. Um, as Christy said, I'm the co-executive director, co-founder of uh, Strive for You, uh, a nonprofit based here in Nashville, uh, but obviously has a national scope. I've been in the nonprofit sector helping with adaptive sports and recreation since 2009, so about 13 years now. 
Uh, Christy and I actually met through um, a previous organization that we were a part of doing the adaptive sports and um, got involved with uh, safety education, self-defense, and then found ourselves starting a new nonprofit together. Like Christy, I'm visually impaired or actually totally blind. I was born with vision, grew up with two totally blind parents, went to public school, and then around my senior year of high school, started losing my left eye, vision in my left eye due to vascular graphing. So we have what we call at Strive for You a, a peer-to-peer approach, which means essentially that you know people with visual impairment who've lived it deal with the struggles every day, working with, helping to mentor and encourage other people to be the best version of themselves. We have professionals in the field that work with us, what I call our sighted allies. They work with other professionals within the community to help, you know, get rid of negative stereotypes and all that good stuff. So, but again, thank you for having us. Well, we're so glad to have you. And I kind of love the story of coming full circle, having been students of Hadley, and now you're here on a podcast to share what you have learned over the years and uh, just looking forward to the tips and techniques that uh, you're going to talk about today. So with that, why don't we jump right in and get started, Ed? Well, thanks, Ricky. Uh, This is just such a great topic. And, you know, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about self-defense. And I think if, uh, you know, if we're lucky, we've we've never been the subject of, a, of an attack. And, and so a lot of folks, they think that self-defense is about physical techniques. And that's generally because we see people defend themselves in the movies. But I was just curious to get your viewpoint from your perspective. What do you folks believe are the most important aspects of self-defense? And I guess I'll uh, shoot that to Christy first. Thanks, Ed. So the aspect of self-defense, you know, there is physical, obviously, if if need be. The hopes is it'll be one of those 90% someone is, in air quotes, trying to help. And just being able to use what we consider uh, in our curriculum empowering words to advocate and say, hey, you know, I'm good. I don't need your help. Please kind of step out of my bubble, whatever, you know, words work for you. That's kind of the cool part about the empowering words is, you know, it doesn't require any physical. But as I said, there is some physical if need be. If it's in that 10% of absolutely, I do need to defend myself. That's interesting. So Christy, you're saying that, you know, if if generally speaking, then 90% of the time, if someone's touching you unexpectedly, it's probably just a, a an attempt to uh, to help that's not wanted is is that your perspective, Ricky? Yeah, I mean that's what over the years, uh, not only as you know, being in this uh, realm and and teaching to visually impaired children, adults across the country, living it myself, it, it's been my experience that for some reason society feels like it's okay to come up and to grab us because you know. Heaven forbid that we've ever walked across uh, a room or sit down in a chair. It's just that preconception that blind and visually impaired are not even disabled, but but worse than that, helpless. So that's been my experience with 80, 90 percent just being grabbed just because somebody wants to help us cross the street or find a chair. And it's okay. The intention is good. But what people don't understand is with reaching up and grabbing someone, you've got all kinds of different concerns there. You've got a disorientation if you are trying to cross a street or, you know, wherever you're trying to walk, somebody to go up and grab you. That can then put your brain into overdrive 
um, of the uncomfortable situation as it is, but then it can disorient you as, as to where you were trying to go, uh, which can then lead you into safety. Um, somebody trying to pull you across the street is absolutely incredibly unsafe because quite frankly, things can happen. And if they're going to happen, I'd rather be the one in control at the moment that they happen rather than, you know, someone else frantically grabbing me and pulling me across the street. So there's a lot of concerns there. The mental health aspect of just simply being grabbed. If you've ever had an, an unpleasant situation and then you get grabbed again, um, that can trigger all kinds of things. And so, um, you know, for both physical and mental safety, we, we need to set those boundaries and make sure that we are absolutely saying, I understand you're trying to help, but next time, please ask. And sometimes that's just as simple of an educational piece as, as you can do in a situation. You know, that's interesting. Both of you talked about really what it is essentially is practicing assertiveness and, and setting boundaries. Um, how do you how do you advise? You know, a lot of a lot of us are trained just to be polite, right? We're trained not to make a fuss, and we don't you know raise our voice or make a scene, etc. So. When you have someone who's, you know, unwilling to practice assertiveness or has is uncomfortable setting boundaries, how do you get them to be more comfortable to do that? So I can speak to this quite a bit. Uh, I'm actually that person. <laughs> I do, I'm not an assertive. I'm not a get loud and be seen person. And that's okay. If that's not your style, there are techniques to be able to still have that advocacy and say, you know, I do still have boundaries. I may be quiet about it, but I'm still going to be nice about it. But I still have these boundaries. And it's okay to, like I said, be that person and be polite about it. Yeah, and I also think it, it, you know, in some situations, being polite, taking a step back type person is okay. It's fine. But when it comes to your actual physical safety or mental safety, we absolutely have to advocate for ourselves. We have to be able to, to speak up. And for some people, like you said, it's very hard to do. Um, so it's my opinion to surround yourself by positive people to help encourage you and practice. It, it sounds silly to do, but you know, getting dressed in the morning, maybe practice what we, again, what we call our empowering words and, and our, our insertedness of, hey, Thanks for your help, but I don't need help. Just practicing that over and over again so that when it happens, it becomes more of a second nature. I mean, that's that's the whole thing about safety education, self-defense, is there is absolutely no way that you can go to one class, one workshop and say, oh, I learned self-defense day. I can kick butt and take names and, and I'll be safe for the rest of my life. You will find that the next day you wake up you can't remember what you learned the day before because it's just the way the brain works. We have to practice, whether it be verbally or physically. And the first step is actually, you know, figuring out what your personal boundaries are. What's okay for you? What's what's not? Where's your lines? You know, I like this concept. It's kind of like building muscle memory. It sounds like, you know, assertiveness isn't going to come automatically to someone who's unfamiliar with it. It's They're going to have to practice it. And, and I like the idea of using empowering words and having some tools to bring to bring to that practice. That's great. 
you know, I've had folks over the years ask me, well, especially folks who have lost vision later in life, they'll say, you know, I no longer can see who's on the street with me. I I don't know what's going on in my environment around me. I'm I'm worried about potential hazards when I'm out in the community, even in my home. So in terms of practice, are there other strategies and habits that people can practice to make sure that they're aware of what's going around them and to how to assess potential hazards when they're out and about or even in their house? You know, that's that's a great question, Ed. And it certainly is something that we have continuously over over the years witnessed and seen, even my own self growing up legally blind and then losing my sight about 14 years ago, 12, 14 years ago, to be totally blind. It, it's it's a change. And first of all, you have to acknowledge, you know what? Yeah, th- this is happening. This this happened to me. And getting through that grievance process, getting through that stage of understanding life is different now. And I have to take different approaches to what was once easy items, things. And so one of the things that I think is is important here is, again, getting away from that self-defense is only about physical techniques. It's the things that you do beforehand, having what we call situational awareness at all times of what's going on around me, what is the environment I'm in, what are some potential hazards, and all that can be accomplished by homing in on your other senses. What happens with blindness, of course, is that we rely more on those other senses. So if you're walking down the street and you hear a ruckus you hear maybe two people arguing, you know, getting very loud with each other. Well, that's an automatic, you know, your spider senses, so to speak, should be going off at that point and understanding that it's probably, you know, could be potentially a situation where I want to turn around and find a different path, maybe cross the street. Um, If you are encountering somebody walking up to you, obviously know that they're walking up to you. One of the things that happens throughout just regular society as a whole is people love to walk and uh, have a earpiece or headphones on their head. That's not safe at all. You, you lose track of what's around you at that point, specifically behind you or from the side, even if you have good vision. So hearing people around you, if you are smelling gas, for instance, obviously that's a safety risk. If you encounter someone and you smell alcohol, that doesn't necessarily mean that someone's going to be aggressive, but it doesn't not mean it. So always keeping that in mind as well. Your senses, again, smell, hearing, touch. Is there something going on? Do I feel heat? What do I feel? What's going on? Sooner that you can detect something, you can address it. You can figure out some game plan, you have a better chance of figuring things out. That sounds, that's interesting. What you're really saying, it sounds to me like is that, you know, planning is really, really important as well as just practicing awareness, maybe in a more intentional way. And, you know, there is, there's, there's a lot of truth to that old phrase, appearances can be deceiving. Sometimes things can look safe, but they're really not. So I think with what the uh, techniques you're talking about, someone with a vision loss can certainly be just as safe as someone without. So it's really interesting. You mentioned um, feelings too, a little bit, not just being aware of stuff, but then how those 
things make you feel. And, you know, we're, we're often taught to not listen to our intuition, right? Things feel wrong, but we're taught, well, rationally, let's just not respond to that because it's, it just is a feeling. But does intuition play a part in self-defense? And should we be listening to those feelings we have when we feel something's off? So in our um, experience and our um, talking to others, just getting information on this particular topic, absolutely. Listen to it. The possibility of you've listened to it long enough, you've paid attention, it just does not feel right. It's easier to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong later than it is to you know, pick yourself up off the ground because you got hit by something. That's kind of the, the thoughts behind that. Thank you. You know, in your experience now, the both of you, that you've worked with a lot of folks, what are, are there some common areas or places where the participants in your program feel most unsafe? Are there places that, every, you know, you find keep popping up that people say, boy, that's where I really hate to go? And what strategies do you give them to cope with those particular situations? You know, for some reason, you say that, and the first thing that pops in my head is, you know, we do scenario training. And the first thing most people say is I'm standing at a bus stop. Bus stop. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that seems to be a big place that people do not feel safe is at a bus stop. And really it goes back to that situational awareness uh, and, and empowering words, using the two of those together, if need be, Uh, paying attention to your surroundings listening to what's going on and, you know, having somebody with you. If, if you feel more safe walking with a buddy, take them with you, Uh, make it a more fun experience. If, if you have that opportunity. Well, I was just going to add that, uh, you know, with the bus stop scenario, we've potentially told folks, you know, if you can put your back to a pole or to a wall, if anything is going to come to you, towards you, for whatever type of encounter or interaction, you can have at least one area cut off of potential threat um, from behind you. Not only with the being situationally aware, bring a buddy, I would also say planning ahead, as, as you mentioned earlier, Ed, about, for instance, where's my wallet? You know, am I going into a large crowded area? Well, maybe having my wallet in my blue jean pocket where there's no button is not necessarily the safest thing. Could I move it to the front pocket? Could I put it in my bag? You know, I I will say this, as blind and visually impaired, we have one hand with your cane using it. If you've got bags and other things in your, like say grocery bags in your other hand, how can you appropriately address a threat, a potential threat? You, You can't do it as efficiently. So maybe carrying a backpack is a good idea. And with everything I'm saying here, I would say, the biggest uncomfortable situation that we have ran across over the years has definitely got to be people saying, I don't carry my cane because it puts a target on me. It brings extra attention to me. And I get that. I understand that. That is certainly a thing that happens. But yet at the same time, your decision not to carry your cane is adding to your unsafe scenario. It's, it's adding to your situation to the point to where uh, now we've got to deal with falling down steps, whatever it may be, running into things, and it's really not helping you any. 
having that confidence to walk with your cane is, is something that takes time, specifically if you've newly lost your vision. But I will say this, if you walk with your cane, with your head up, chest out, good posture, walking down the street, even if you're not fully confident about where you're at, where you're going, that imagery of, I do look at, look confident, plays a huge part in your safety rather than looking down at the ground or not looking as, as confident as you can be. So that's a lot to put in there in your answer, but I, I just feel like those are some great things that need to be taught, uh, touched on. If all of your strategies fail, and unfortunately, you're really confronted with you know, a physical assault, I've had folks ask me, well, how, how, I don't have any training. How can I be effective at surviving an actual physical assault? Do you have any um, thoughts on that? Well, I don't think we would do ourselves justice if we didn't first start by saying, you know, strive for you, uh, make a phone call, an email to the SEED program and start working on trying to get services. And if that's not what you're looking for, something local in your area, something along the lines of a judo or a, you know, martial arts that has the concept of once you're touched, do not release until you feel confident that you can walk away. Yeah. And I also think, you know, more directly with your question, another thing that we have to say is this, anybody that tells you, if you do this physical technique, or if you do this, you are absolutely going to be safe. They are trying to put off a, a big pile of, you know what, there is no single technique or situation thing that you can do as much as your efforts are to create a 100% guarantee. All self-defense is, is turning the the tables, turning the percentage, hopefully more into our favor. And so, you know, when you're thinking about things and you say, well, I don't have training, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But if you are confronted and you have a situation, the biggest thing that we can say for you to do, if you don't feel comfortable, you don't have training, whatever, make yourself loud. Make yourself known if you at all possibly can. Bring awareness to your situation so that you can have community support from other people. I will tell you, any aggressor whatsoever, generally speaking, will back off when there is numbers against them. They just won't do it. It's a primal instinct. It doesn't make sense. I would recommend to carry with you some type of personal alarm. So specifically something maybe that that's a key ring or something that you can put on the, the cord of your cane to where if something happens, all you've got to do is pull the sensor and make it loud. The other thing is understand that if someone tries to take you to a secondary location, down an alley, behind a building, they try to put you in a car. I just will say this, fight like hell because Studies have shown if they take you to a secondary location, the likelihood of your surviving that situation is very low and more than likely to an area where they have pre-chosen to go. And that is, you know, kick, scream, punch, fight. At that point, your life is extremely under threat. So that, that would be a couple of things to give you there. 
Okay, thank you. Good, solid advice. Do not let yourself be taken to a secondary location. I mean, it's it sounds obvious, but if you're in in that situation and you're afraid, it's an easy thing to try to acquiesce. But I but I totally agree with you, and I like the idea of you know almost changing the attitude of the assailant, making noise, making them understand that you're not just a victim, that you're an unknown quantity that they're going to have to deal with and think about. So, great advice. I, you know, I guess finally, I just would ask both of you if if someone is interested in learning physical self-defense techniques, they want to take a class, are there specific things you'd recommend aside from the seed program if they're looking just if their local town has a couple of martial arts programs, what would you ask them or tell them to look for when they're uh, investigating a class? Well, I think Christy kind of hinted towards this uh, in the last answer. Finding something in your local area, maybe it's a uh, martial arts class where the ones you want to look for are specific to those type of things where it's a lot of grappling, it's it's um, up close uh, grabbing, so that once they make contact with you, you can keep that contact and be able to perform whatever it is, you know, the techniques you need. Um, judo is a great one. Jiu-Jitsu. Um, so there's some great self-defense programs out there that gives a lot of great information, but their concept is hit, kick, and then run. Well, that's not necessarily an option for us, um, especially if we get disoriented. Um, we may knock our own self out, running into something, trying to get away. That's one of the concepts and things that we teach is... You know, you, as Christy said earlier, you have to defend yourself and get to a situation to where you feel comfortable to let go, turn your back, find your cane and walk away in a stressful situation. That is a tall, tall order. And so you have to be able to train with programs and scenarios that are able to give you that ability and confidence to do so. I think also taking the time to research other options. There are different books out there. You know, having knowledge is not a bad thing. So taking that time to figure out what else is out there and making your decision based on what feels right to you. Great. Thank you both. Yeah, I really appreciate that as well. I think what we've talked about here, they are very actionable items. And to go back to what Ricky said, it's not a Here's this one technique that if you can do this, you're always safe forever. Um, I think we've talked really more about just some concepts to keep in mind. So that empowering words, the feeling of confidence, situational awareness, being able to practice that. And then just as an addition to that, learning some physical self-defense. And I think they all go together. So it's nice to, again, have a few things, you know, a few aspects of this whole concept of keeping yourself safe that people can research and do what feels right and authentic for them. So, again, thank you so much for that. For people who do want to learn a bit more about the SEED program and the other things that uh, strive for You does, because I know that there are several, where is the easiest place for them to find you all and uh, find out what you do? So our website is strive, the number four, Y-O-U dot O-R-G. 
you can use that same strive for you.org and put my name, Christy, C H R I S T Y, at strive for you.org or seed.director at strive for you.org or even Ricky, R I C K Y, at strive for you.org. And that will get you in touch with us. Or obviously, like I said, you can check the website. And if there's something else you're interested in, we'll absolutely be uh, ecstatic to help you find it. I would also just point out, we're getting ready to set our calendar for the year. And we're going to be having webinars over all these topics. As you were saying, Ricky, earlier, one of the key things out of concepts out of this is practicing, whether it's your empowering words, your situational awareness, uh, whatever it may be. And so, you know, getting webinars, trainings, workshops. Uh, We have instructors throughout the country who are teaching ongoing classes, not every state yet, but we're working on that. So check out our website for upcoming webinars that we might be having for the SEED program as well. And then lastly, I would just point out, we are on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and I would invite you to follow us on there and uh, keep up to date on what's going on. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And again, can't thank you enough for stopping by and sharing your tips that come from working with other people and also just from your own lived experience. I think that's important. And I think it's uh, very valuable information. So thank you again. Thank you for having us. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Got something to say? Share your thoughts about this episode of Hadley Presents or make suggestions for future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at hadley.edu. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at hadley.edu. Or leave us a message at 847-784-2870. Thanks for listening.